In the 2,000 years of Catholic Church history, something unbelievably incredible has been happening, although most of the laity never heard about it. Why should they, when their own church failed to tell them? What is our hierarchy's justification for continuing to lie to the laity? Perhaps it is their selective memory on this issue. Jesus, we need you now more than ever. You are so honest. You say it as it is. You are so attractively transparent. Then why have our church fathers not been honest with us, not been open with us, not been transparent with us for over centuries? Jesus, what do we know? The history of our church doesn't lie to us. This history shows the actual truth. As the history of our church comes out, the lies of deception will finally end. Hey everyone, you just heard an excerpt from Margaret O'Connor's new book, Scandal in the Shadows. Margaret is tackling a gigantic subject that is very near and dear to a lot of people, the Catholic Church. In this episode, Margaret discusses her relationship with the Catholic Church, the research that she's done for the book and related to female priesthood and uh, abuse in the Catholic Church. It's certainly a topic that um, has gained a lot of notoriety, especially in the movie Spotlight. And today we discuss that a little bit, her feelings about it all, and just provide information. I encourage you to have an open mind and heart and just take in the information. Whatever you do with that, that's up to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret O'Connor. hitting on something which is so true because what get what gets lost in this topic is that somehow a person like me or other Catholics that are actually speaking out against the uh, authority the hierarchy that we are doing something wrong and we love our Catholic Church just like other Catholics do but we certainly are personally offended when we found out that for centuries now, women, that is, in the Catholic Church, we have out and outright been lied to. And it's this awful betrayal of trust that first hits you. And, of course, that, that does have a cutting edge to it because I don't care what, um, you know, church you belong to, uh, already there There seems to be that inbuilt assumption of, well, this is an organization where above all, there's going to be truth, there's going to be honesty, and there is a foundation there that has uh, different principles, um, things that happened centuries ago, and we can really, you know, get into that. We can be comfortable with it in knowing that this is special. And then, I mean, again, of all organizations, when uh, you find this out, it is a it is a devastating personal blow. But then you have to ask yourself, well, what are you going to do? Are you just going to be resigned that this is how it is? Or are you basically going to in my case, uh, maybe it's my <laughs> Irish heritage, I, I was just completely fed up. And especially when you see that absolutely nothing is changing. And I really pondered hard when I uh, wrote the book because I thought, well, maybe I can uh, reach a larger audience. But then there was uh, this intrepidating <laughs> feeling of... Um, I guess uneasiness, not fear, but uneasiness, because um, one of my former uh, podcasts I was on, uh, Matt Maple from uh, Mind Dog, he mm -hmm. outright asked me during the interview, he said, Margaret, are you David going against Goliath? And I said, yes, I'm little David going against the Catholic Church. Right. And that is the truth. And I mean, 
The Catholic Church is a, is a big like organization conglomerate, and um, you know they have millions and millions of dollars. And who am I? I am just some in in a sense insignificant person. You know, I don't have the uh, monetary resources. Who am I going against the Catholic Church? But it gets down to if you love your church and you obviously see that these so-called men of God aren't uh, doing the type of ministry in any sense that Jesus did, well, then you just have to take some type of action. So let me, let's get into it. I think we should dive deeper. So what is the conflict that you have seen uh, that these men have been doing that are not representative of the teachings of Jesus? Uh, number one is the awful priest sexual abuse issue. Yeah. And back around, I think it was 2002 in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, that is when everything basically fell apart. And there was a wonderful movie, Spotlight. I saw um, it. You know, Great movie. How the reporters movie. had researched and came across what was going on. And you had the hope, well, okay, now this dirt literally is out in the open. And that they were going to have a commission and then committees, whatever. And that there was going to be steps that would would take care of this. Well... Uh, I live in Buffalo, New York, and it was just unreal. The last two years, we had a bishop here who I personally called an enabler. He basically looked the other way on priests that he knew were doing, had done offending, you know, things. And there was credible allegations there. And one was just completely mind-boggling, the former bishop had removed a priest from the Buffalo Diocese. Well, lo and behold, this new bishop comes in, and that former uh, priest is reinstated. Now, this is just something that doesn't happen. So, of course, in my mind, alarm bells are going on. What's wrong? And then there was a, a principal at a Catholic school that kept basically she was beside herself, you know, making phone calls, writing letters, uh, that this priest has to be moved out of here. So what does the bishop do? Things are getting hot. He writes a Catholic cruise ship line of letter. And basically, it's a glowing letter about this priest's moral character. Hmm. I mean, that's just one example. So then you've probably heard in Pennsylvania... There was just so many priests as well. So we thought this issue was under control. And then for the last uh, two years uh, previous to this year, I was actually picketing with um, some members that were actually uh, abused, uh, not only by priests, but there was one lady. Uh, this happened, and it was by a nun. And... To be with someone that's actually gone through something like that, it it just presents a whole, uh, in a sense, like a terrible angle, but you can just feel what they've gone through. And then to see basically the actions of the hierarchy of the church, hiring big lawyers and obviously failing in many parts to, to make any type of a, a a payout, and then Catholics that don't understand this issue are just saying, well, look at he's in for Joe, he's in for the money. And where, I guess, what has happened to their conscience? And that's a whole other angle. During this time, there was hardly anyone out there picketing. And one of my big things that I think personally affected this, not to use it as an excuse, but getting back to where is the conscience of like your average, everyday Catholic. Uh, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, there was a term that you probably heard, pray and obey. Mm -hmm. If you were a Catholic, you just knew 
Well, I mean, who are you? Do you have a, a, a doctorate in theology? Uh, you're not in a position to be questioning your church. That, that, is, that isn't for you to do. So I don't know if Catholics, uh, obviously, for years were sort of, they were in that mindset where they just did not question uh, anything. And now it's like they can't understand where anyone is coming from. How dare you question the hierarchy of the church? We were picketing, and this lady came out, and she was so offended by what we were doing, and she was basically accusing us of tearing down the church. And, um, you know, I just said to her, I said, well, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I said, what about the, the victims of this abuse? Why don't they have a right to speak out or any other Catholic? And you could just tell it it just could not, it didn't make any difference. And that's what's so disheartening. Yeah. Is that you're, you're trying to highlight something that, at least from the outside, from what I've seen, and maybe a lot of people, there's this um, um, systemic, um, really hardcore issue of um, abuse and scandal, sexual scandal within the Catholic Church. And then members who, in many ways, seems like are just turning a blind eye to it, like, hey, you know, this is my church. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight this. You know, this is what I am into. Um, and to basically be blind to it and some like consciously blind to it. You know? Yes, they, you know, and then they might also be exhausted because it, it, it you know, it takes a, a lot out of you. But uh, I am uh, asking your audience, if any Catholics are listening, um, I'm not asking you to go out and pick it. I'm not asking you to uh, write a letter or make phone calls. Uh, I have a petition at my website, yourradicaltruth.com. That's yourradicaltruth.com. And I would appreciate it if you would just go over and look at it. That way you can see the particulars of what's in it. If that agrees with you, I would be really appreciative if you could sign that. Money certainly speaks but numbers as well speak. And in reference to the uh, woman's ordination issue, the Catholic hierarchy today still does not even consider women's equality in our church as an issue. Jamie Mason had a blog, and in there she mentioned our current Pope Francis when he was a cardinal back in 2010, he wrote a book on heaven and earth. And in there, he said something just unbelievable. He said, basically, the woman feminist movement had achieved their goals back when women obtained uh, the right of suffrage, the right to vote. Right. So we're talking 1920. And, I mean, this, this is just beyond ast astonishing because then you see that correlation. That mindset is right there at the highest ends, you know, of the church that this is why women's equality is not even an issue in our church. And then beyond the uh, pre-sexual abuse issue, you have to realize this um, awful cover-up that's been going on for centuries in relationship to the the woman priest issue again is a it's a completely different scandal, but it entails the same components of lies, of cover-up and deceit. Back in 1976, there's a commission. Um, the Pope has a commission, and it's called the Biblical. Pontifical Commission, they came out with their findings and they explicitly said there's no reason why women can't be ordained. 
okay, that was 76. Where are we today? Nothing has happened. Um, this cr Sister Chris Schenk mentioned this International Theological Commission, and this would have been back in 1974. And a member of that group uh, was giving uh, the findings and said that it was believed that it was Pope Paul VI that convened the commission, but they were looking into the study of women deacons. And, of course, most of us remember uh, back in 2016, Pope Francis started this new commission on that. Well, why didn't the church hierarchy listen to the findings back in 1974? There would have never been any reason to convene that commission. But more importantly, women deacons would have been allowed to be in the Catholic Church. And what they found is that women as well as men, they were in the church, they were on the altar, they were in the presence of a bishop, uh, the bishop said prayers over them, the bishop laid hands on them, there was a stole put around the, the female's neck, there was a stole put around the male's neck, they both held the chalice, and then they drank from it. I mean, you can't get what do people want. This is definite proof that there were women deacons. So we have that fiasco where they didn't do anything. The uh, fiasco from 76 moving nothing as far as like allowing women to be priest. And then uh, even biblically, Jesus said in Galatians 3.28, there are no male or females, all are one in Christ Jesus. Or going back to Genesis 1.27, in the divine image, God made woman and men, God created them. And I mean, there again, I guess I'm just floored with the realization, who do these men think they are? that they're not following Jesus' own words regarding the equality of woman. They're not following the findings of the Pontifical Biblical Commission or this other commission. I mean, it's just, it really is from a woman's point of view, it's not only frustrating, but in a sense, it's sickening. It's because this seems is such a deliberate cover up. Right. It almost seems to me that it's paralleling the rise in feminism and general, just overall society and the, um, the, the sense of this long-term power of men um, and inequality between men and women. And that this is, is almost a parallel thing, but you're seeing it uh, in the church, in the Catholic church in a sense. Oh, definitely. And it is so uh, entrenched. It's, it's, I can't even think of the right word to describe it. Okay. But um, this is my mission in a sense. I want any member of the Catholic Church, like if, if you're not religious, you're called the laity. I want them worldwide, whether here in the United States or, again, worldwide, uh, to understand the truth of this issue and, you know, go over and sign that petition because it's going to take huge amounts of numbers for them to even consider. And But then also, more importantly, you're going to have all these Catholics that are going to see their Catholic Church like they've never seen it before which is so important. Well, that's an um, interesting issue in itself because um, I've met many of uh, Catholics throughout my lifetime and, and many who are um, lapsed Catholics. And do you think that is because of all the scandals and maybe the portrayal, betrayal, portrayal of the Catholic Church over the years that people are just frustrated and um, upset with how uh, Catholic, becoming a Catholic or growing up as Catholic is? 
Well, yes, because there again, it gets back to that issue of truth. And these, uh, I call them so-called church fathers. It's not every priest. Right. But there's, but there's too many of them. Um, whether they committed sexual abuse and it's not only the priest, it's the, uh, the the higher ups, the bishops, and then above them are the cardinals, and you have so many of them that are enablers, and I was just thinking, like in Buffalo, New York, or wherever you live, anyone lives. There's all these different Catholic churches, and there's all these different bishops, and there's all these different cardinals. And then you take that across the whole United States, and then let's take it over to Ireland, you know, Australia. It, it, it is mind-boggling. But this is what keeps this perverse behavior uh, from not being stopped, is that the men in that position, religious positions, um, nothing really happens to them. They arrested uh, a bishop over in... Um, Australia, and uh, he's out again. Um, Is it that the church basically, uh, or the higher-ups, they're able to provide kind of a safety net or a cover for other bishops and things of that nature? So just sounds like to me like a lack of accountability in any organization or walk of life. If there's no consequences to behavior, then behavior tends to just continue to exist. Oh, definitely. And a perfect example of that was last uh, summer, there was an article in the Buffalo News and a retired Buffalo police officer was recounting how uh, this was just a norm. If a priest, uh, he was going back, I think, um, back to the 70s or before, uh, if a priest was arrested, they would be taken uh, to the uh, police station but once inside the police station, they weren't uh, booked in the normal fashion of like having your picture taken or fingerprints. Um, the desk sergeant or someone would make a call uh, to the chancery, and then um, a priest would come and pick up the offending priest. I mean, you talk about, you know, getting away with things. And, and they know if they have something like that going on, and then aside from the fact that they're never actually um, put into jail or prison, uh, they have that freedom, and uh, I think they, they're really arrogant because they just feel they're like almost uh, untouchable. Yeah, I just I just feel like there's so many kind of parallels to this, to so many... Uh, organizations in life that are not policed properly or there's consequences and then it just becomes behavior becomes emboldened with oh, it. definitely because they know they have a free ticket basically yeah. to do um whatever they want and as you said there's going to be absolutely no uh consequences so how does i'm interested in this how how does someone who's very distrustful of the Catholic Church, how do they come back to the Catholic Church in a way that will make it feel more alive and authentic to them when they're when they're hearing things like this? And how do they find a way back that is truthful and native to them, you know, that will be a good place of worship for them? I think they have to actually like search their own conscience. Because obviously you can tell I'm very upset with the hierarchy of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, whether it's with the priest abuse issue or, you know, the uh, woman uh, ordination issue, the lies, the cover-up, the deceit. But I have to remember that I love Jesus. And these obvious men are have nothing to do with Jesus in any sense of the way, the, the offending ones. And that I'm fighting to bring back, to to basically clear house so that we can get back to some semblance of normalcy in the Catholic Church. And that's not to say now there are many parishes where there are good priests and you do get good homilies 
and you feel like you're a community. But as you said, that is unfortunately far and in between. And that's why there were so many people that did indeed leave the Catholic Church. And uh, I am, I mean, realistically thinking, I think there will be many that will never come back. They uh, already probably have found homes with, uh, let's say, the Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. And um, they've, um, you know, their conscience... Um, they're comfortable with that. And I, I believe, I don't care, whatever faith you're in, let's face it, for the most part, you were in a sense born into that because your um, particular parents, you know, belong to that faith. Like in my sen- case, uh, my parents, it was the Catholic faith, were down the street, uh, a childhood friend, their parents were in the uh, Methodist church or the Protestant, you know what I mean? Yes, I'm familiar, definitely. But it does make it uh, hard and painful when you obviously see um, the very uh, moral disintegration uh, within the church and the hypocrisy. Um, And they did uh, survey... um, I think it was Future Church, and they basically found that millennial women are more so than millennial men to be leaving the Catholic Church. They love Jesus, but they're looking for a spirituality that they just presently can't find present in the Catholic Church, and especially how that relates uh, to a woman within the church. And if you remember when I was talking back about the uh, woman's ordination and how the, mm-hmm. the priest have basically ignored everything, uh, something that gets lost is uh, right away when um, people hear like woman priest or wooden, woman's ordination, um, there is not only the awful feeling of being lied to by the church. But when you understand that there was actually a heritage there, then there, in in a sense, there is that loss of that religious heritage. Um, I'll just give you an example, being Irish, like down through the generations, uh, one family, uh, Uncle Joe, uh, he was a regular priest. Well, maybe a Uncle Ralph, uh, he went on to be a bishop, or uh, Uncle uh, Harry, he was this. But there was like, it seemed like from one generation to another in families, there would be priest after priest. And of course, if you were were a boy in the church, you had a specific role model uh, to look up to. Whereas for a woman, there was Mary, Mother of God, but and then finally, they changed things around with Mary Magdala, and they they admitted that she actually was an apostle. But, I mean, uh, there was really no ro- role models for a woman to, you know, think about being a priest. And I think that also plays a big part today when there's so many women that uh, you can talk about this issue, but they seemingly cannot connect to it because in a sense it is like a very foreign a uh, subject right they don't know anything about these women their names are not present in the lectionary as they should they're like almost strangers to them but one of the things out of all the disparity that we've been talking about i think one of the great things is there is hope Believe it or not, in the research, they found out, and John Wiesgaard has an excellent book, The Ordination of Women in the Catholic Church. And he presents Mary, Mother of God. Her name was, she was also known as Mary Priest. 
and she was the model of all priesthood in the Catholic Church. And this is something which the church fathers have definitely would never, you know, want to see the light of day. But I mean, I think it's just so fascinating and fabulous because now uh, any girl growing up in the Catholic Church, I mean, what better role model can you have than Mary, Mother of God, as Mary Priest? And probably when I'm saying this, there'll be a lot, a lot of, a lot of people's mouths or jaws are going to drop. <laughs> you know what? What is she talking about? But I want your audience to know that everything in my book uh, is is not uh, make believe. It comes from biblical research. Right. I mean, so I think that's very I, important. I'm speaking yeah. literally with the truth behind me. Well, I think it's important too because so much of I think our society is which is a very interesting thing. I wanted to talk to you about this because I I feel like I struggle with it on some sense, but I'm also very confident is that the sense of so much of what we want to have is proof and science. And like, this is true because there's science to it. But I also think as, as someone myself who is a Christian and lifelong, and um, there's some things that are just mysteries and that I don't need proof to believe in type of thing. And I think it's interesting to have research with spirituality and religion, but also kind of the mystery of it too is, is, is a larger leap of faith in many ways as well. So it's, I think it's great that you have research with it. And I think for a lot of people listening, they look for that, you know, they look say, Hey, give me some peer reviewed research journal stuff, but also think a large part of spirituality is just believing in the mystery of it as well too. Oh, definitely. But I guess I, again, these men of God deliberately hiding, this is a whole other side of Mary, Mother of God, that obviously none of us knew existed. And I know there are a lot of ladies that, in a sense, were uncomfortable with Mary because, uh, well, myself personally, I thought, well, I I mean, I can never be so perfect like her. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, but this is a whole other side. Um, she really was like an everyday lady. And she certainly could r- relate to um, her her fellow sisters. And to think that she as well was out there, you know, on that road to Emmaus, aside from men. Y- you think of all the women that were walking, doing their ministry as well. And this is all completely lost. And again, an aspect of the woman was that many people don't realize, uh, aside from Mary Magdala, there were other woman apostles. And this lady, Ida Ramming, uh, she had an article, The Twelve Men Were Apostles. And uh, I was fascinated. She found out that there was... Uh, what was called the concept of apostleship. And basically that was saying that uh, in the earliest of time, anyone who would be sent out officially and solemnly by a particular community or the risen one, these people were apostles. And of course, the Catholic Church has always given us the one other slant of it being just Jesus sending out 12 men and nothing about uh, a community sending out apostles. And these other women apostles, it makes sense. They were sent out by a community. Um, But here again, they've been sort of like swept under the carpet. Oh, it's interesting. I think people, which I think is one of the reasons why I, you know, when I've mentioned in other podcasts, like, oh, I'm going to have Margaret O'Connor on, she's going to talk about Catholicism and women priesthood and things of that nature. And and people, oh, I got to listen to that one. I have to listen to that one. And I think it's because the people are very interested in the mystery, well, saying, and the research at the same time. And what is it that they're missing? What is 
why is someone like this willing to go to bat? I think that's a large part of it is too, is somebody approaching a subject that is really controversial. Honestly, it is for a lot of people. What started you on this? What was the genesis for you that that first inkling where you were like, I have to look into this? Well, believe it or not, I was writing another book. And not that I heard voices, you have to, you know, write on this subject. But it was more like thoughts were like coming into mind. And it was all on this issue. And it got to be so it was like, constantly. And I thought, my God, what is, you know, da, 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 what is going on? So I even went to a psychic because I thought, and she says, oh, yes. She said, you, you, uh, you stop your book now and, you know, write this other book. Um, but what, beyond that point, what initially moved me forward was, was being just fed up with being lied to and seeing how they've just, uh, the, the so-called religious men of our church have brought down our uh, church. And unfortunately, there's a uh, conservative group within the Catholic Church, and they don't believe, they only believe up to Pope Pius twelfth. Uh, back in the 60s, there was Vatican II, and that was Pope John the 23rd, and he basically opened the windows of the church, and he said it's important that we see the signs of the times. And these conservative Catholics, it was like an affront to them, and they never really understood uh, Vatican II because for them, things had never changed in the church. The mass was always Latin. The priest was facing the altar. Well, then with uh, Vatican II, the priest was turning around and facing uh, the congregation. He was speaking in English. And they basically, from that point on, I think they just, they saw this as some type of a degradation of their church and the church, unfortunately, uh, the PR people could could have done this better. In their research, they actually found out that the mass that we have now today in our Catholic church is the closest to how the mass was back then in the earliest uh, centuries, which I think is pretty neat uh, and pretty special. But getting back to change, uh, originally the Mass was said uh, in Greek, and then it went to Latin, and then, of course, it went to English. Um, Centuries ago, uh, the Eucharist was given in the hand, then there was a period where it was given uh, on your tongue, and then, of course, it reverted back to in your hands, and as well the cup at a certain point. Uh, was there, then that was removed, and then that's back. And then, of course, now with COVID-19, there's uh, the changes are just going to be unreal. But to this other group of Catholics, if they happen to be listening, I, I just want you to realize that Vatican II um, had so many uh, advantages to it. And one of the things was an was actual section on the laity, And uh, there was a canon in there, and it said that the laity have the right to speak out on matters of importance. So I want them to realize that I'm a member of the laity, too, and I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm actually following uh, church law in speaking out. But these people, um, this particular group, unfortunately, they are so set in their ways that, like, if I'm out picketing for woman priest, why are you lying? <laughs> Get out of here. You don't belong in this church. Go right. to that one over there a few blocks away. Uh, and at one point when I was picketing for the um, sexual abuse, uh, this woman came out in the wintertime, and she really startled me because she, you know, had a coat on. It was cold out. 
She whipped the coat open. I thought, oh, my God, does she have a gun? Oh, my goodness. She had a cup with holy water in it, and she started to bless us. And I said to her, I said, ma'am, no. I said, I do not need to be blessed. I said, I know exactly what's going on in that church. Wow. And then that's when she lit into like a litany of why we were the ones that were, um, you know, tearing down the church and that. But uh, they even have churches here across the United States. And again, getting back to only believing up to Pius XII, uh, where the women still go in and they have to have their heads covered. And uh, the priest vestments are uh, look like those of the uh, 50s where they were square. So it's uh, it's just a whole different mindset, but... These Catholics, I just feel they're they're missing out on something, you know, so important. And then I even have relatives that I know uh, don't agree with me writing the book. And um, I was getting a comment like, well, I can't go back that far in history. And uh, they commented on how pretty the picture of Mary was and then swung, <laughs> swung into something else. So, yeah. uh it's disheartening and trying to get the truth out. And, and have you had a lot of resistance? It sounds like a lot of resistance from people. Yes. And um, I'm waiting for the floodgates to open because uh, I, I'm a newly published author. So my uh, uh, my ebook came out in my, beginning of March and the uh, paperback came out at the end of February. And of course, everything has been closed up basically. So I haven't even been to my church. Right. So uh, uh, I did send to one lady that I knew for years, and I received this phone call, and I thought, what have I done? This lady, she's in her early 80s, and, I mean, you could tell she was genuinely upset. She couldn't even open the cover of the book, and why are you sending me this? So... I tried to explain that I have scandal in the shadows. Scandal also means omission. The omission of the church, you know, not letting us know the true other side of Mary, Mother of God. Yeah, I, I would imagine there would be a lot of pushback because whenever you challenge somebody's belief in something that they've held for their entire life, especially it and let's say it's something that um, they think could change their reality, they're going to push back on it because it in many ways defines who they are as a person. Yeah. You're right. And that's completely against, uh, and it was like, you know, the nerve, who, who are you to be picketing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's challenging to swim upstream when everybody's swimming downstream, you know, for that. And I also wonder, though, like, do you think the Catholic Church, because, you know, there's all these things associated with, is it hard to attract younger people to the Catholic Church these days? Do you feel like it's kind of uh, almost so traditional that it doesn't attract kind of people in current society? Uh, I think it's dependent on the families that are, are taking their uh, children to Mass, and again, uh, on the particular parishes uh, where they belong. Uh, like my particular parish, they have like a, uh, a food a meal that they prepare once a week, you know, to give like to the homeless. And then we have, a, we call it a hunger bowl. It's a salad bowl. And ever since the uh, 1970s, uh, it's, it's placed on a table, uh, in the, in the middle of the church. And as you're coming in, if you want to throw in a dollar or whatever, and then uh, every week that money gets collected and it goes out to different missions. And I, I can't remember the exact amount, but it has been a huge amount. So um, it's a very like inclusive, you know, church. It's just yeah. not like we're there for ourselves or but I, I think, again, it depends on the activities that they're offering and, and seriously, uh, how the priest can relate 
to uh, the younger audience? Yes. And is it coming across as being genuine rather than being a hypocrite or or basically talking on something which really isn't um, gaining your attention, but more importantly, feeding your soul? Right. Yeah. I mean, that is so well said. I think that's been my journey and religion growing up where, like you said, your parents introduce you to it, or in some cases, and I'm sure many cases, there's no introduction to it, you know? And for me, it was kind of your general kind of pastor or so that was kind of holier than thou, like no mistakes propped up to this kind of, you know, this just person you're like, man, this person seems to rise above everything. I can't imagine this person doing anything bad, you know, or like messing up. You know, right. whereas as an adult, I've had wonderful church where my pastor is literally, I could see him messing up a lot. Like, it just seems like a very normal person. And I relate to that. I think people relate to just, just general humanity and a person. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. I think sometimes I think if it's too, I want to say stuffy in a sense, or the, they think the person, the priest or the pastor, whoever is like, almost seems like they're this deity themselves, in a sense. It becomes really strange at that point. Uh, yes, yeah. and that's where they'll definitely lose people, for yeah. sure. It's strange to me. That's I never liked that. So it's just interesting. I think it feels like Catholicism, there's always some element of scandal going on, whether it's in major news and movies and it's just, I wonder why the abuse and the scandal is so prevalent. All, it seems, it just seems like at least what's being put out there, you know? Yeah, because it, it goes back to that these people, these priests know um, there's no accountability. Their, uh, their bishop or pastor, you know, calls the bishop and look, at, we got to move this person and we'll move them outside the Buffalo. Yeah. We'll move them to Orchard Park. Well, then he acts up in Orchard Park. Oh, we'll move him to East Aurora. Uh, we'll move him here or there. It, it, it's almost like a chessboard. Yeah. Uh, moving these people. And that's how it was done for generation after generation after generation. But like my pastor, when this first hit two years ago, it was refreshing because he mentioned, look at, uh, and he was talking to like the, the younger people. He says, if you know if someone is touching you in a way that you shouldn't be touched or something something is happening uh he said not only tell me or you know your parents tell everyone he says or run to the police station yeah. but i mean that was something that you would never you know ever hear before coming um from a priest and then uh, our own priest was threatened in such a way. I guess uh, I heard that he had received some uh, mail uh, saying that uh, this person was, uh, again, they were anonymous, but they were going to accuse him of something happening uh, in the confessional. So all of a sudden I came in one week to church and I thought, what's going on? The confessional doors were completely off. And I mean, mm. it makes sense. But I mean, wow. isn't that a sad state of affairs? Wow. So no, so the privacy element out of, of it had been taken away. Uh, yes, but you know, I used to laugh <laughs> even though there's doors there. I would never think of ever going over and, and putting myself in one of those pews because no offense, uh, uh, I've heard from other people because I've never uh, sat opposite them that, yeah, you can hear. And then I would laugh. There would be some old ladies, the old biddies of the church, and they would basically park themselves. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right opposite at the furthest end. You almost thought they were going to fall out of the pew. So, it, I mean, it, it, in a sense, it was comical, but it was like, oh, my God. Wow. It was like. Wow, I had never heard of that before. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> I wonder how the evolution of this is going to be, especially with, uh, you know, COVID nineteen, and you know, we're we're hearing so much about houses of worship being reopened, and it makes me think of the Catholic Church now, the way you're talking about it, and and how that might change as we move forward in our society. 
Well, definitely. Um, they were saying, I guess, in some churches uh, that you would have to make like uh, reservations or they would have to have more masses. And then when you think of it, there there's already a shortage of uh, priests. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, what they call is like a communion service in place of the regular mass. And this is where we need the woman priest back in the Catholic Church. And, you know, so many times the hierarchy will say, well, gee, we can't start something new tradition like that uh, because we can't alter uh, tradition. Yet, if you look back in the early centuries of the church, it was the early hierarchy themselves that went about altering that tradition by removing women from their priestly positions. And aside from women being priests or deacons, there were also women uh, bishops back then. Wow. So this is another hidden... Um, it's weird. We just go on and on. It's the refusal to change things. Again, it just makes me think of like so many things in life that we get stuck in these in the, in the cement of life. You know, this is how things have always been. We're mm-hmm. going to continue to do it that way because it be, has become comfortable for people. And I I heard this from my pastor uh, uh, last week on our virtual service. I thought it was so interesting. He said, you know, a lie that is unchallenged becomes a truth that people follow. Oh, wow. And I said, wow, man, that hit me hard because that's happening in life in a lot of ways. You can put it in politics, religion, whatever you want to put it in, you know, parenthood, whatever lie is being pushed out there. If you don't challenge it or question things, then it becomes your truth. Yes. And then you base your entire existence on that lie. And, you know, what you were just saying before, I, I in my book, I, I had a reference to uh, the hierarchy uh, that they're stuck in their quicksand of inertia. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're just literally stuck in their tracks yeah. and there's no traction forward. But uh, my biggest concern is having any Catholic understand the truth of the issue and start to feel something. And again, from the privacy of your own home, if you, uh, you know, feel that um, you don't know where to start and you don't want to belong to an organization, please sign the petition. But it is exciting for Catholics listening. There is a call to action, future church, Roman Catholic woman priest, uh, women's uh, organiz- organization, organization, and getting back to the Roman Catholic woman uh, priest, yes, this is an organization, and they do have uh, both women Catholic priests and women Catholic bishops. And some of your audience is probably thinking, "What is she? What is she talking about?" There was uh, a bishop in our Catholic Church. This was all done. Uh, he did not obviously want his name to be disclosed because obviously he would be removed from the Catholic Church. So it was back about 2002, and it was it was over, I, I don't know if it was on the Danube River, but they were out in some type of a boat because they, they wanted this to be done under secrecy. But the thing is, within the Catholic uh, Church tradition, uh, there's a term apostolic, excuse me, <clears throat> apostolic succession. And by this bishop ordaining in particular the woman bishops, then they themselves have that linkage back to this apostolic uh, succession, and they themselves can ordain women priests, women bishops. So uh, this was back in 2016. There was over 200-something, so you know by now there's many more, and uh, it's exciting. I got to tell you, this is very enlightening. Because I don't think many Catholics realize that. 
I don't, I don't think they realize probably a lot of this <laughs> that's happening right now, which I think why there's been such a fervor and interest whenever I've told anybody about this episode. And oh, I appreciate hope, that. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know what? My thing is just to present the information to people, let people talk about what they are passionate about or interest them or uh, they feel led to, and then put it out and then let people make their decision on how they feel about it. And but it's so important. It gives them basically um, another perspective. Can I just give you an example? Yeah. Um, in one of the chapters in my book, chapter four, I have presenting the truth rather than denying it. And there was a group of us women picketing for women priesthood ordination. And there was a policeman at the time. There was a police station right next to the cathedral and the policeman comes over at some point, and he basically says, don't you women have something better to do with your time? Oh, man. Well, obviously, th this was a complete waste of our time, a waste of his time. So I said to him, I said, I said, just bear with me for a minute or two. Let me run this quick scenario by you. I said, let's pretend the New York Yankees baseball team was comprised of only women. So, of course, he, his eyes are rolling. Mm -hmm. And I said, at some point, your son asked you, gee, Dad, I want to play baseball. And unfortunately, you have to tell him, well, the American Baseball Association says that only women uh, baseball players are allowed. And in fact, they did research into the early beginnings of baseball history. And there uh, never were any male baseball players. So lo and behold, at some point, your son's doing research and says, Dad, this is fascinating. Look at back in the early history of baseball, there were male baseball players. That was until the woman changed the rules. So now let's move that similar scenario into the Catholic Church. The American Baseball Association is the Catholic Church hierarchy. And you have just come out of a mass with your daughter. And your daughter says to you, gee, mom, you know, I think I might want to be a woman priest. Well, unfortunately, as well, you have to tell her, um, I'm sorry, you can't be a woman priest. Well, why can't I, mom? Well, the Catholic Church hierarchy has laws and they're saying that only um, males can be Catholic priests. And they did their research way back, and they just never found any uh, woman being a priest. It was just males. So sometime down the road, your daughter comes to you all excited. Gee, Mom, there were women priests back in the early history of the church. Well, how would you feel this mother and daughter wouldn't they fee feel betrayed or lied to and i forgot to bring that up with the men too wouldn't they you know maybe question this organization why they were lied to well when i mentioned that you know at the end of the thing about the woman the policeman it was like an aha moment to him you could just see a switch and I, i'm bringing this up because it, it's so important to see a completely new perspective on an issue that obviously um, has never been advanced before. And I'm hoping it's going to really, you know, open the average everyday Catholic uh, up to seeing the woman priest issue and, and you know, what, what has been done to, to women. And if you're uh, maybe a husband, uh, another male, and you have a, a sister, um, a mother, that you can realize, you know, they've been lied to, they've been betrayed by their church, and, and, and how do you feel about that? So uh, it's not only women signing this petition, uh, uh, any uh, male as well <laughs> is invited to uh, sign the petition. Wow, i got to tell you, this is a... Uh... It's why I like doing this podcast, to get different points of views, different opinions, different research, different uh, things that make me wonder. Uh, 
about that? I, I really appreciate that you afforded me this time because it really gives me a chance to uh, really explain it in a sense in more detail. That's why podcasts are great. I mean, you could write something and writing is great, but hearing your voice and your passion behind it and the information you present, sometimes that connects on a much deeper level with people. Thank you. So, Margaret, I really appreciate your time uh, here being on the show, presenting this information. Uh, I hope that, you know, my audience really checks it out and um, provide feedback. And I think it's important, you know, we're in a country that we're allowed to, we have free speech. We could say things and, and have differing opinions. And it's okay to have different opinions uh, from each other. As I think as long as we're respectful about it, we show the kindness that we're asking to see when we're doing that is really important. And so you sound like a really kind person, really sweet person. And uh, just thank you for your time. Oh, thanks again, Darian. You got it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.